The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. This episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is brought to you by PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. When you take a live online course, PPI guarantees you will pass or you can take the on-demand course for free. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. It's not easy for us busy geotechnical engineers to keep up on industry trends while keeping up with our engineering work. Therefore, it's our goal at the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast to help you do just that. We strive to keep our listeners informed on important industry topics and also to educate you on interesting technical topics and trends in the geotechnical world. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Felipe Ochoa, a geotechnical engineer that is passionate about geology and geosciences. We'll be talking about his career as an assistant professor, his passion for geology, and also discuss some of the great projects that he's been involved with. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. And with that, let's jump right in to today's episode. All right, Felipe, welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. How are you doing, man? Hello, Jared. I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much for this opportunity to be here with you talking about engineering, about life, about geotech. It's great to meet you. I admire your work. I admire your podcast. It's a lot of fun. I have learned a lot about people that you only see sometimes in the social media or in the news or in a report. I don't know. It's very nice. I think it was a great idea, a great initiative from yours. We haven't really met before. I'd seen your post on LinkedIn and we've corresponded with one another. So I was super glad to see that you'd be able to come on the show, you know? Well, these days you can have excellent vibes with people that you haven't had the chance to meet in person, but that you can tell that there is a common ground in which you can share some nice ideas, some nice content. That LinkedIn thing that you mentioned has been a great experience, actually. I have met a lot of people like yourself. I really enjoy it. I consider it part of my growing because I have the opportunity to somehow do outreach, which is fundamental for my career. Right now, I'm sitting here in New Jersey, and you're an assistant professor in the University of Chile, right? You're in Chile, and we're talking right now. So this is powerful when you think about it. Absolutely. Somehow, we have to look at the bright side of all the situations that have affected the world during the last two years. 
Well, I'd love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about what a day in your life looks like as an assistant professor. What are some of the things you're working on? What to look like on your end? Assistant professor. It's a beautiful challenge. I really like it. I really enjoy it. As everything, it has good and it has not so good. But in general, it's a very nice experience. What we do here at University of Chile as assistant professors, and I think it's the same, pretty much the same for most of the assistant professors, probably. My main tasks here at the university are teaching, doing research, and also outreach. In that regard, we have to teach at undergraduate or graduate level. That's from the teaching part. On the research part, of course, we have to publish in either journals or conferences. Journals are the ones that have the most impact, at least in our career are as civil engineers. The other part is uh, outreach, in which we go to the community and we share with the community what we do, what we are trying to find, and how we cooperate with other colleagues to move the frontiers forward. I mean, you move at least a little bit the, the frontiers of knowledge, and that's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work also. There is another interesting point that probably nobody tells you when you start as an assistant professor, which is the administrative part. You have to administer a lot. We need more preparation in what comes to administration. It's a learning process. So that administrative aspect, that's not something that you're learning as an undergrad or as a grad student. It's, it's something that you're really, I guess you're learning on the job, right? Definitely on the job. That's the fourth side of the job that people don't tell you much when you are applying to become an assistant professor. With all the interaction with the students, I, I imagine there's a, a good aspect towards what you do that ties back to mentoring. Now tell us a little bit more about what it's like mentoring young students and, and what has that done for your career? Because I hear from folks, even from my experience, it's been that when you mentor people, they get something for you, but you get something from the experience as well as the mentor. Love to hear what you think about that. I might be a little bit biased on that question because my parents are professors. They both are professors. My mom, Ligia, she is a teacher in a primary school in high social risk environment. And she has worked her entire life in that with the people that need the most. For that, you need a lot of inspiration and dedication and truly you really need to love the kids, to dedicate so profoundly to push and push and push for them to have a better life, to show them that where they are can be overcome. That for me has been really inspiring. The work of my mom, the work of my dad. My dad is a faculty in a university. I always saw them working so much for their students. And that was inspiring to me. At some point in my life, I thought about becoming a teacher when I was 17, 18, and I was trying to find out what I was going to do. And on the other side, I really loved geology. I really loved the planet. I loved the ocean. I loved the mountains. I really liked them. And I am an outdoors person. So when I, asked, I did the question, how can I become a geologist? I said, well, how can I become a geologist? Well, first you have to be an engineer. 
that's the way it worked here in Chile at the time, 23 years ago, 24 years ago. And the thing is that when I was in the university, I really liked what my professors did. And I became very close to some professors. I am telling all this story to share with you that for me, my colleagues and my students are my inspiration, but the students are in the stage of discovering. They are in the stage of finding out what they want to do, what they are going to do in the future. And that's beautiful. I really love my students. And when you love your students, the mentoring, which is the key part that I consider in my career, that the key part, I mean, I love teaching, I love research, but it's the mentoring that gives meaning to what I do. And I really enjoy it. I'm sure your students love it as well. If, if you look at them as inspiration, I'm sure they love it. Maybe not during the tests and exams, right? They might not think like that by the end of the semester sometimes, but I hope the students that are doing their thesis with me can see it. I cannot talk on their behalf. I guess they feel my excitement and my joy when I am with them. I like to visit them in the lab. I like to ask them, how are you doing? What is going on? We have meetings every week. So mentoring for me is my opportunity to grow. I refresh myself when I am with my students and I have the opportunity to mentor them. So I don't think I can find enough words to express my gratitude for the opportunity to enjoy and mentor youth of our students. And those are my parents to blame. You never know the influence you had on students which one of these students are going to go on. And then they're going to be saying that, you know, as Professor Ochoa, they did this to me. And now I'm going to be a professor. Or I'm going to teach. Let's see. Hopefully I inspire one of them. We are very lucky at the University of Chile because our students are really, really good. We have very good students. I am very proud of all of my students. Mentorship is something that when you think about what we go through in our careers or through our academic journeys, there's always those people that were willing to pour into us, to have compassion, to have empathy, to see when we don't understand something and take a little more time to explain it. And those are the professors, those are the instructors, those are the teachers that we remember. You're really glad to hear your enthusiasm in those regards. I'm always learning. It's a learning process. It's a nonstop learning process because the generations change. The students are, they change. Generations are changing and now they change even faster. So it's difficult to keep up sometimes with some language and some terms. I wish I could do that more in high school, at the high school level, because I noticed that in high schools, for instance, there are a lot of kids that are afraid of mathematics and they don't know that probably they are geniuses in math. I think it would be awesome to have a, a, a way to permeate a little bit those concepts in high schools. That sometimes people get so intimidated by math and by science that they say, I can't do it. And once you say, I can't do it, then all of a sudden it makes it harder for you to do it. But you just need somebody that early on says, you could do it. And or just to explain that this is used in real life. It's beyond what's on the final exam. It's used in real life. Totally, totally agree. So on a personal note, I understand that you're in remission from cancer. And first off, congratulations on that. I can't imagine what that was like for you, but I would love if you could share with the listeners how that affected your engineering career and what you learned from it. It's been a long time. I, it was in 2010. I was in the middle of my PhD, not in the middle, actually. 
Only two years after, my PhD was a little a little bit long, but uh, it was uh, two years after I started my PhD. It was in July of 2010. There is a context. And the context is when I, I went to the U.S. for my graduate studies, I couldn't take my son. My son at the time was three years old. I had two advisors and they were great to me. The more time passes, the more my admiration grows for them. Marika Santagata and Antonio Bobet from Purdue University, because I got permission during my PhD studies to visit them, to visit my son every six months for three weeks. I was allowed to do that. And I have an infinite gratitude for their understanding with my situation. So I was at Purdue, I, I was alone. I was alone doing my grad school. I had some great friends. I had a great time. I learned a lot. I mean, you know, grad school, how it works. It's an awesome time of our life. But it has this side. And it happens that in 2010, in July, I came to Chile to visit my son, my parents, my family. And one day I went to the hospital because I had a pain in my throat. It was a regular visit. It was not something so big. The thing is that that doctor took a long time to see me, maybe three hours, something like that. In the meantime, I said, okay, what can I do? So I requested an hour with, I embraced those three hours and, and I went to the doctor. He checked. I had testicular cancer and he said, okay, there is something weird here. We have to examine. That's the key point in the story because at the time I was doing my PhD, and the beginning of my PhD was very tough. Things didn't come out. It took me a long time to come up with good results. And I was completely dedicated to my PhD. And I was really into the mood of getting good results and completed, right? I mean, that's the mindset of every PhD student, every master's student. The doctor starts to tell me, we need to do an exam. It seems to me that this exam won't come out very well. And we might have to do a surgery. And I said, but okay, well, I understand. When can I come back to continue with my PhD? He said, well, the times I would relax on the time. I said, well, okay, I understand that. But do you have an idea of when this could be done? And at that point, the doctor tells me, I understand your mindset because you are doing graduate school. And because of that, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't take the time to worry properly about this, there is no PhD. There is nothing. If you want me to tell you what continues after that, I can tell you. But I think you're smart enough to figure it out what I'm talking about. I mean, that doctor, he's a good friend of mine now. I trust him a lot. His words were wisdom to me in that office that day. It was a, no, a little bit after the final of the World Cup 2010. Few days after that final between Spain and Netherlands that Spain won with a goal from Iniesta. I don't play very well, but I love soccer. All of that happened in that room in that day. And I said, okay, let's see how it goes. And in the end, I did the exam. The exam didn't go very well. And I went through surgery. And after that, I had two chemos two sessions of chemo, because I was very lucky. I was very lucky that it was a cancer in very early stages. After that, again, my advisors were very understanding and they allowed me to stay six months here in Chile. So I spent here in Chile six months 
taking care of myself, taking care of my son, taking care of my family, giving myself a new opportunity to look at things from a new perspective. And from an engineering perspective, probably that was the main lesson from that period was health and family first. If that's not right, nothing will be right. When you are successful in your work, that means that you are also successful within you and within your family somehow. It's a reflection. Your work reflects how you do things somehow. That's the way I see it. I'm not sure if someone would agree. Maybe someone look at things different. But that was my lesson for engineering. Because at the time, I had a really bad habit. And that bad habit was I enjoyed so much engineering. And I loved so much the life I had that I didn't sleep much. My first years in grad school, I studied and I had a great time, but I was sleeping two hours. It was so much my eagerness to enjoy life that it's like I didn't allow myself to rest. It was family, engineering, my son, the outdoors. And after that, this is a good time to organize myself better. Ever since... Eight hours of sleep, health and family first, and engineering and life as much as possible, but with those boundary conditions, fixed boundary conditions, no discussion about it. Health and family first. And that's all based on your empirical data. That's what worked for you, right? (laughs) Absolutely empirical data. I agree. If you don't have those things in the right order, bad things can happen, but I'm glad that you were able to share that. I think that's going to really help our listeners. I know it helped me. I was very lucky because everything was on time. I hope I, I did a good work in identifying what at the time might have improved my life, which was, for instance, sleeping. Sleeping is super important. So these days, for instance, when I talk with my students and my students say, hey, you know, I went to bed at 4 a.m. and I woke up at 7. I said, no, 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 no. Don't do that to yourself. I understand that you are young, that you have energy, that you do this and that, but you might pay it later. And I tell them, health and family first. That's my motto today. And and it has been my motto ever since that cancer event. Now, it's so important. You know, a lot of people are talking about work-life balance and life-work balance, and people are talking about mindfulness and well-being. And it's important. And the reality is if we put those things last, we're going to be impacted negatively. Super important. I think that should be taught since we are children. When I see that there is a kindergarten or a primary school having yoga sessions, that's fantastic. Probably you won't have the kids meditating and doing yoga all the time, but at least they know that yoga exists, that meditation exists, that mindfulness exists. Only that. If you have kids aware of that, you might have healthier kids. I know you're very passionate about geology. I see it from your post. I love geology. I really love geology. I wish I knew more in depth geology. I have learned a lot from my colleagues. I have awesome colleagues that teach me a lot about I learn from them. Can you talk a little bit about maybe a project or two that kind of stood out for you and how it benefited your career so far? Again, my parents are the ones to blame. My parents always told me that when I do something, I have to do something for service, to serve people. When I am involved in a project, somehow I try to look for that, for service. 
public service in particular. University of Chile, it's a public institution. And I have been very lucky that during the last two years, I have been involved in a really great project that has a, a sad side. In the Chilean Patagonia, in 2017, there was a landslide. This landslide was 8 million cubic meters, which is equivalent to 10 stadiums of rock and soil. After severe storms, they just fell. This landslide and all the debris traveled eight kilometers, buried an entire village in the Chilean Patagonia. 22, 23 people died, passed. That was sad. So a colleague of mine, of mine wrote a proposal to understand what might have caused that. So during the last two years, we have been working on that, mainly with observations, with uh, reconnaissance, uh, numerical models. But it happened something really interesting some weeks ago, not long ago. We went to the Patagonia. We went to Patagonia, beautiful landscapes. We went to see the failure. What had happened in that place? And uh, even it's been some years since that event, you can see the destructive power of nature. But what hit me was to talk with the people and to have the testimonies, what they had to say, what they shared, the feeling of being trapped by the mud, by the debris, seeing, rescuing people from the ground to take them to the surface again. I mean, the catastrophe could have been way more than it already was. This project has definitely been a highlight in my career. It's applied research in which I have had the opportunity to learn a ton of geology and also to understand the critical role that geology plays in geotech because it was a mountain. Half a mountain fell, collapsed, mixed with water and travels all the way up to a village, killing people. When you are in the, in the place and you see it, rock. But when you look downwards, you see soil. How that transition happens in a matter of seconds and this aspect, it's fundamental. When I have the opportunity in my classes to talk about geology, always the first class that I have is on geology. How soil forms, how you can have a soil forming in a rock, how a rock can become a soil, the importance of water the beautiful difference between a sand and a clay. Because many people think that a sand and a clay, the only difference between them is that one passes the 200 mesh and the other is above the 200 mesh. No, the difference between a clay and a sand is that the sand is controlled by gravity and the clay is controlled by the interaction and interaction forces, electrical forces, water, and all that stuff. And it's a beautiful world. And the more we understand geology, better geotechnical engineers we can become. I consider myself very lucky because I consider myself young to learn that. Sometimes I talk to some engineers and they say, okay, geology, you only need to know that this is Cretacic. No, that's not enough. No, we need to know more. What is the difference between this deposit and this, right? You say one is from the river and the other is from a debris flow. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. They look very similar. No, when you have a river, you have an stratification. When you have a debris flow, there is a disorganization of the sediment. And those are only details. But the younger, we appreciate more geology, 
I really feel the better geotechnical engineers we can become. Well, I'd love to hear more about the research. What are the, the aspects of research that you and your students are focusing in on these days? We are working in one particular project in which we are using nanoparticles to mitigate liquefaction in tailing sands. That's a project that has been on for since 2018, in which we are working with tailing sands and we are mixing it with this nanoparticle, which is called laponite. And uh, laponite is a master of plasticity. It has a plasticity of over 1,000. Really? No kidding. That's like magic at that point. I mean, you're just, you're transforming the material. That's cool. It's very nice. Uh, It has a huge plasticity. The size is only 25 nanometers. It's been a very nice work because we are dealing with nano to macro research because we need to understand laponite. So we are studying laponite. We started to study laponite back in my day, uh, back at Purdue. That was the main project, which was lead one of my advisors, Marika Santagata and, and Antonio Bobet. And we worked on the liquefaction mitigation potential of, of this nanoparticle. And it turned out promising. They have continued that work. And here in Chile, I did a proposal to extend it a little bit more, going further with sands that are related to the mining industry, and those are the tailing sands. We have been working and we have gotten a lot of interesting results. And we are working on writing the papers. Other research that we recently finished, a project on the nonlinear design of bridges, in which we were five colleagues, Cesar Pastén, Rodrigo Astroza, Francisco Hernández, Ramiro Basáez, and myself. Some of them were structural engineers. Some of them, some of others, including myself, are geotechs. And we went through the full process of coming up with a manual for the nonlinear design of bridges with the hope that in the future could be considered for the design of bridges by the industry here in Chile. It was a very nice research project, a lot of teamwork. And during the last two years, I have been involved in this project regarding these huge landslides that we had in the Chilean Patagonia. I have been involved also in other researches, uh, other research initiatives. It's very interesting, always on the side of uh, applied research. With all that you're doing, I mean, how do you manage work-life balance? Any tips you can share? Because the listeners... There are different parts in their career, but whenever I hear like something like you have so much going on, how do you do it? I think I have my schedule kind of well-defined in general. I wake up in the morning and I spend two hours with my family. I start working around nine. Before nine, what I do is that uh, I share with my wife, my kids. My wife, she is awesome. She is very time efficient. She leaves home maybe 45 minutes, half an hour after we wake up. And then I stay with my kids. So we do the garden. I love gardening. I am always collecting soil. These things are very interesting. This is one of the best tests that I have to go to the field. Whenever I go to the field, I always grab my jar full of water. So I say I can see immediately what type of soil I might be dealing with. Immediately. So I do this and I take this to my classes. And sometimes my students tell me, are you serious that work? We are becoming engineers to do this. And I said, 
there is a lot for you to learn still until you appreciate the value of this. And I have tons of this. And there is something very interesting that happens in my place that I am sieving my patio, literally sieving my patio. What I do is that with my kid, he's three years old, Salvador, my older kid, the one that she, he's 60, is 17. He is Cristobal, but I do it with my younger one, uh, Salvador, three years old. So I have some sieves in the patio and I excavate 40, 30 centimeters, right, depth. And I start to sieve the material to separate the finer part with the right, because I want a very nice garden. So I need to take a little bit of larger stones. And the thing is that I am not kidding. I am getting some boulders this size. They are perfectly round. And I said to myself, okay, I am in the middle, almost in the middle of Santiago. The closest river is a lot of kilometers away from my home. How is it possible that I have a gravel deposit below my feet? And the thing is, somehow, my patio has become a geotechnical lab that I do every morning between 8 and 9 a.m. So life-work balance, I really feel that concept doesn't exist when you're passionate about your job. Because in the end, it's not a job. It's fun. You are having fun. And somehow, and, and my wife understands me and my, my kid understands me. And sometimes I, I'm driving with my kid and I see a very nice deposit and I say, oh, you know, you need, you know, we need to stop here. I need to pick up, right? Because I have in my car, I have jars. I have jars. Of, whenever I find a deposit, I put soil in my jar. The only thing that my red flag is not to work in a way such that my family feels behind. That's my only limit. Otherwise, I'm having fun. So for me, that's why I say I'm a little bit biased when it, it comes to that topic, because I enjoy it a lot. And it helps somehow, maybe because of my personality, it helps a little bit that there is a point. Uh, coming back to the first point, when we were talking about the what an assistant professor does, the fragmentation of time. It's terrible because you have to be in a meeting. You have to prepare the class. You have to do the project. You have to go there. There is a lot of time fragmentation and handling, managing the fragments probably is one of the most challenging things. So in the end, I am lucky that I really enjoy it. If I feel my family is behind, I stop working unless it's absolutely unavoidable. That's my line. So I'm not sure if I, it was the best answer I can give you, but... No, it is. I mean, in reality, that's your story. And I think it's great. It's like, if we love what we do, then we don't think about it. It's like, oh, I have to go to work. It's like, you love what you do. So that's a beautiful thing. It happens to me that on Sundays, I feel that the best is coming. And in that regard, life balance, I mean, my family knows a lot of geotech, I would say. I mean, considering my wife is a quality engineer and she works in agronomy and it happens that she really enjoys what I do. Whenever we are driving and I find a soil deposit that I like and I, I want to sample with my little shovel and the jar, she goes with me and she enjoys it. We have conversations about it. I have been very lucky. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back in just a minute to close this one out with Dr. Felipe Ochoa and our Career Factor Safety End segment. Stick around. All right. Welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor Safety End segment. 
And in geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your actual career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Felipe Ochoa. So Felipe, you've already had a very successful career. And when you look back in your career, what's one thing you implemented to give yourself a career factor of safety? I think I have been very lucky because I have always surrounded by people who are way smarter than I am, particularly my colleagues, my professors. The factor of safety is sharing with people that care a lot about what they do. Find a mentor. It's really important for the factor of safety in life, in either personal or professional aspects, to have a mentor. I would say I have four mentors. I have had maybe five role models to follow in professional aspects. My advisors, Marika Santagata and Antonio Bobet, Dr. Vince Drenevich. They happen to be very good friends of mine these days after many years I left Purdue. My undergraduate and master's advisor, Professor Ramon Verdugo, also an inspiration, the work of Professor Santa Marina and many others. I would highlight probably mainly my advisors, Professor Dre, Drenevich, Santagata, Bobet, Verdugo. I would say that's the best safety factor, the mentoring. Find a mentor, find someone whom you can trust on whom you can have a very nice advice, on whom someone who could tell you things that you might not be seeing, either because you are too young or because you just don't know. That's the best factor of safety, I would suggest. I love theory. I'm very theoretical. I love theoretical things. My work doesn't focus on that. I don't work on constitutive models. I don't work on... I always loved math. Because of that, I love theory. So factor of safety to me are mentoring, very strong theory. Well, Dr. Ochoa, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all these great insights. I know it's going to be really helpful for our listeners. And it's great for me as well. If there was somebody to want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? You have email you want to share, or I know you're on LinkedIn. Probably LinkedIn these days is, is one of the best ways to reach me. I mean, uh, I consider it part of my job because that's the way I do outreach to different communities. My email is fochoac at gmail.com. F-O-C-H-O-A-C at gmail.com. That's my personal email. And my professional email, in case it's the same, but instead of Gmail, is at U-C-H-I-L-E dot C-L. Well, thank you so much. This was great. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 43, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.